So recently, my producer played me a throwback jam. I wanna be the very best. I have not heard the Pokemon theme song in like 25 years. <laughs> what an anthem. It just makes you want to get up in the morning, go catch some Pokemon, train them, fight. <laughs> Hey, y'all. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Brittany Luce. If you haven't guessed, today we're talking about Pokemon. I wasn't much for the trading cards, but I played the Game Boy game when it first came out in the 90s. And I also watched the anime. And even right now on my desk, there's a pair of Pikachu ears my sister got me in Tokyo a few years ago. So I felt a little nostalgic when I heard that after more than 25 years, the Pokemon Company is finally closing the book on Ash, Ketchum, and Pikachu. My millennial heart weeps. Now, if you're not as familiar with Pokemon, the thing about Ash is that he has one lifelong goal, to become a Pokemon master. Very recently, he achieved it. He has no more mountains left to climb. And now, the very last season of Ash's Adventures with Pikachu is airing in Japan. Why is this happening? Well, I don't know their reasons, but I do know they're going to introduce some new characters. Anyway, you slice it, folks, this is the end of an era. So today, we celebrate these iconic characters and look back at how Pokemon became even more valuable than the entire Star Wars franchise. First, we hear from someone who knows Ash Ketchum better than almost anybody. Wait, so how old were you when you, when you started voicing Ash? Uh, 18. Wow, you, that means you've been playing Ash Ketchum for like half of your life, basically. Yeah, I don't know anything else. I'm freaking out. <laughs> <laughs> what is my life going to be? That's Sarah Natacheni. She's been voicing Ash Ketchum in the English dub of Pokemon since 2006. But now I'm going to become a Pokemon master with my buddy by my side. Along with a bunch of other characters on the show. I play 21 of the Pokemon, and including Chansey, Baneary. Those are some of my favorites. Misdreavus. Misdreavus. A lot of the bird Pokemon. Uh, Starly, Staravia, Staraptor. Staraptor! A bunch of Wigglytuff. I play his mom, I play Dawn's mom, and a few trainers. Sarah told me how Pokemon changed her life and what it means to say goodbye. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a minute. Thank you so much for having me. You know, um, you are not the only person to voice Ash in English, but, you know, you're our longest running Ash for Pokemon. Yeah. So, like, let's go back to the beginning how did you become Ash Ketchum? Um, I was a rhythmic gymnast. I won a bronze medal at the Junior Olympics. And my parents were like, you're not going to sit around doing nothing. I was 12, 13 years old. So they put me in acting school and it was such a natural fit. I absolutely loved it. And I did not try to get into voice acting. This was not even something I thought about. I wanted to be on camera. Oh. Yeah. And that's what I thought my life would be. And I signed with an agency and I got a manager and that's how I got the audition for Pokemon. I didn't know what dubbing was. Oh my gosh. I learned how to dub at my audition. They kept me there for half an hour because I sounded right. And uh, I got it. <laughs> wow. You mentioned some similarities between you and Ash. Yeah. How did you get into the character of Ash? Like, how did you get into his voice? Well, at first, the assignment was to match my predecessor. Professor Oak, where's 
Where's my Pokemon? So it was very much an impression. Because of your amazing Pokemon training skills, I'd like to introduce and challenge you to my brand new battle system. Over time, the performance changed and the voice changed and it became more of my own characterization. I'm Ash Ketchum. I came from Town in the Kanto region. And this is my good buddy, Pikachu. And that just came naturally. I've always been very tomboyish and playful, kind of ready to take on the day. And so it's not very hard for me to play Ash. <laughs> A rare Pokemon? Mika. I'll go check it out, okay? I'm wondering, you know, as you and I are the same age, like I'm I'm the age of like peak Pokemania in the U.S. Right. Like I was in like the fifth or sixth grade when Pokemania popped. Mm-hmm. And it was, I mean, it was pandemonium. Like, oh yeah, like, Pokemon was like Pokemon was a thing. I wonder though, like, did did you grow up watching Pokemon? Yeah. Oh yeah, no, I was right there with you. You're probably in the same school. It was everywhere. <laughs> My parents only bought me one pack of cards. They were like, "You're oh. not getting into this. We're not spending money on this." <laughs> so I was very deprived as a child. And now I collect. It's so funny. You know, your parents didn't want to invest in your Pokemon journey when you were a kid. And now you're like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. (laughs) So it must have been pretty mind blowing then to go from watching Pokemon as a kid Mm -hmm. to like becoming Ash Ketchum. Yeah, it's wild. What has it been like to go on this adventure with Ash for the past 15 years? Oh, my God. 17. 17. Yes. (laughs) It's surreal. Look, the time really flew. Because I'm doing this job like once, twice a week. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I fell into a rhythm with it. And I wasn't doing the Comic-Cons then. I started doing 2021 was the year where I got into Comic-Cons. The voice of Ash Ketchum on Pokemon. And today I'm in New York Comic-Con and I'm going to find everybody who's cosplaying as Ash Ketchum. And then I realized like people really love what I do. (laughs) And in theater, you you have the feedback of an audience right away. Mm -hmm. And I've barely ever had that. Like when you're doing voiceover, you're in a booth right. by yourself. And now we're, I'm in a closet by myself. I'm in my home studio most of the time. So I get nothing. I don't even get like the love of my director. <laughs> so, so to go out there and have like people like line up and meet me and do the panels, like hear the applause and like feel the energy of a group of people mm. being like, yes, we love what you do. There's, some, there's something to it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Either as a performer or as a fan, is there a specific scene from an episode that you really loved either watching or playing? Uh, there, There is a bunch. Uh, in this last season, I got to rap as Ash Ketchum. Go, go, yo! Go, King! Battle's in it! And uh, if, if that's one of the last things I do, that makes me very happy. <laughs> <laughs> um, I got to play a, an evil twin Ash Ketchum. Hey, what are you so scared of? Oh, you're pretty funny. Funny? I got to play like a British Ash Ketchum. I've become a Slowpoke master. I do it all for the sake of Slowpoke. <laughs> you know, in some ways you did grow up with Ash Ketchum, but also like you've obviously developed into an adult and Ash has stayed 10 years old, right? Yeah. Sometimes I felt like a little Doogie Howser with, with Ash. Even when I was his age, where I was like, I would have done things that way, Ash. Like, yeah. you didn't make the decision I would have made. I wonder, were there ever moments where you were like, Ash, what is going on? Like, <laughs> get it together. Anytime he doesn't notice that someone is kind of being flirtatious with him, I'm like, oh, uh, <laughs> yeah, Like him. Uh, it is true that his positive mental attitude is something I admire a bit. Huh? Wait, what was that? <laughs> it wasn't important. But he is 10 years old, so I cut him some slack, but... 
In my mind, Serena and Ash should be together. Hey, Ash! There's just one more thing! Huh? OTP. <laughs> yeah. There are some fans that are newer, mm -hmm. uh, but there are also some fans who have been with Ash the whole time. Mm -hmm. um, what's the thing that keeps even grown-up Pokemon lovers coming back to the show, to the games, and to the franchise again and again? I think it's a couple different things. I think primarily it's comfort and nostalgia, mm. and it feels like I'm coming home to my friends. Mm. But beyond that, his tenacity, his, you know, his can-do spirit, his love for his Pokemon, his love for his competitors. I think these are all wonderful lessons for people of all ages to learn. Mm. You know, Sarah, you're the English version of Ash, mm -hmm. but Pokemon is translated into many languages. I'm just wondering, is there like a group text of Ash Ketchums from around the world? Like, do you all compare notes? Like, have y'all met? I wish. This has been in the back of my mind for a few years now. Like, we got to make that happen. I want to have like a panel <laughs> of all the ashes of the world. Call it ashes of the world. And my friend said, ashes to ashes. I'm like, that's a little bit more, but I don't know about that. <laughs> um, but ashes of the world, I would love to have a panel where we all sit down and don't understand each other very likely. And just at least take that picture, man. Mm. I hope Pokemon's listening. Guys, let's do it. <laughs> this would be so exciting. How did you feel when when it was announced um, or it was shared with you that the Pokemon company was ending Ash's arc on the show? Uh, you know, sad. <laughs> really sad. It felt like someone died. Oh, wow. This kid has been with me for 17 years. It's like to to not have him be a part of my week anymore is it's definitely very jarring and very strange i'm i'm weeks out of this now so i've mm -hmm. um gotten used to it but i was crying a lot Aww. it helped to think about um the fans that really it's like sitting on a plane and it's really turbulent but there's a kid sitting next to you so you got to keep it cool for the kid otherwise the kid's gonna freak out mm. so i came up with something to say to the fans i met fans for the first time and realized what an impact our work has had on their lives. That's the best part. Happy and then on Friday, the news released. I'd gotten like no sleep. <laughs> oh. Because I made that video of like my journey as Ash, which was really hard to make. Mm -hmm. And I cried through it. And um, mm. I was like, you know what? It's it's honest. It's real. You know, it was hard. What What do you think you'll take away from this experience? Like when you look back, um, in 10 or 20 years, what do you think you're going to remember the most? Uh, the people, the people I affected. Yeah, that's, damn it. Damn it. Why'd you do this to me? <laughs> um, yeah, the people who, you know, write to me and say, you helped me learn English and, uh, you got me through tough times and, you know, like there, there are some very dark things that people go through and they write to me about them and as somebody who's like experienced a long bout with depression it's it's incredible that i could have been a part of something that that helps people through that it's really cool damn it Brittany! what are you doing oh <laughs> i don't think it's me i think i think it's the connection that you have with ash ketchum and yeah and the community of pokemon lovers yeah yeah it's it's the people the job, I mean, I'll have other voiceover jobs, you know, but 
once once I started meeting people and, and connecting with people, that really changed my perspective on what we're doing here. Sarah, thank you so much for, for coming on this show. And I have to say, we have Pokemon lovers on the team. I know there are some people listening out there. And I think you brought some peace and closure to some folks by chatting with us today. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. It's so great to meet you. Great to meet you too. Thank you all for being on this incredible journey. I'll cherish it for the rest of my life. The journey continues. That was Sarah Natacheni, who voices Ash Ketchum in the English dub of Pokemon. So, okay, it's clear that Ash and Pikachu are big parts of the Pokemon puzzle. But the franchise is way bigger than them both. Up next, two guests who will talk us through how Pokemon transformed the gaming industry in America forever. This message comes from NPR sponsor Mass Mutual. Talking about your future can be uncomfortable, whether it's about how expensive college will be for your children, realizing how much you need to save for retirement, or really anything to do with life insurance. It can be overwhelming, but you don't have to do it alone. With more than 170 years of financial experience, Mass Mutual can help you plan for the important moments. Call a Mass Mutual financial professional today. Feel comfortable about tomorrow. My next two guests are here to talk about the impact of Pokemon, and they are longtime aficionados. What are your most Pokemon obsessed memories? Mine would be I got Pokemon Silver off of eBay before it dropped in the US, oh, wow. actually. That's Dexter Thomas, a vice correspondent specializing in Japanese media and culture. At this point, I did not speak Japanese, so I'm stumbling my way through the game. And I just have memories of trying to play this thing on the bus and being absolutely <laughs> bewildered. But I was the only person at school who had it. For a second, I was kind of that dude. My most Pokemon-obsessed memory, you know, when it first came out in the U.S. in September 98, I became kind of my whole life. Like, I was like, well, I, I don't need any other interests now. And that's Daniel Dockery, author of Monster Kids, How Pokemon Taught a Generation to Catch Them All. All this passion over Pokemon means these two dudes have takes. How did Pikachu, I guess like that character creation, make it arguably more versatile to you than Mickey Mouse or Hello Kitty? I think the, e the easiest answer to that is a question, can Hello Kitty scrap? <laughs> She's a Scorpio, I'm telling you. It just has yet to be seen. Now, I personally would defend Hello Kitty to the end. But Pikachu is something special. He's not just a cutie who can scrap. He's also the face of one of the biggest media franchises in the world. It's Pokemania everywhere. And the Pokemon is creating a monster of a commotion for American kids. That's all they're wanting now is pure Pokemon. We haven't sold any yo-yos or Star Wars merchandise in a long time. And today, between the show and the video games and the merch... Pokemon is estimated to be worth somewhere around $100 billion, beating out the Marvel Cinematic Universe and Mickey Mouse. In fact, when the latest Nintendo games, Pokemon Scarlet and Violet, came out in November, they sold out more than 10 million copies in three days. Today, Dexter, Daniel, and I talk about how a bunch of cute monsters broke down cultural barriers and changed both gaming and kids' media as we know it. 
All right. So, Daniel, Dexter, welcome to It's Been a Minute. Happy to be here. Yeah, thank you for having us. Daniel, you've written a whole book on Pokemon. And because you have all this knowledge on this topic, I want you to take us back to Pokemon's early beginnings, like to where the inspiration came from. Like, how did Pokemon come about? Yeah, okay. So post Allied Occupation, Japan sees a massive amount of economic growth and organization. It's huge. And growing up around that time um, is a young boy named Satoshi Tajiri, who grows up in uh, Meshita, a I think it's a ward outside of Tokyo. Mm-hmm. He loves collecting bugs and finding bugs and searching through forests and going through streams to the extent that his friends nicknamed him Dr. Bug. <laughs> he loves this, but he's watching everything kind of get paved over a little bit. And uh, while on one hand, this kind of destroys natural spaces a lot, um, it also leads him to like his next love, which is arcades, which during like the 70s and 80s are seeing like kind of a boom. Right. And when it eventually becomes time to make his dream game with his nascent video game company, Game Freak, the big project that they're working toward is Pokemon, which is all built around this relationship between a natural world and a swiftly urbanizing world, like man and nature able to connect in a way that they don't in real life. Mm. You say in the book that he had like some values that he wanted to infuse into Pokemon, like, you know, connection to nature, but also connection to other kids. Talk to me more about like specifically what the values were that he wanted children to sort of absorb through playing the game and engaging with Pokemon. Yeah, Time Magazine, they ask him kind of about like, oh, does is Pokemon, you know, making kids fight because also uh, during the Pokemania days of the late 90s there was kind of a an ethical outcry parents should not let their kids watch Pokemon play Pokemon have anything whatsoever to do with Pokemon because the message is violence and he's like no his whole purpose was to get kids to connect and be friends with each other and be friends with you know these pocket monsters and I would even add another little thing which you know back in the day in the 80s early 90s like video game playing often was a really solitary thing. Right. You're playing by yourself, especially these role-playing games. You're you're in a room, you're by yourself, and there's not a whole lot of interaction necessarily with other people. It's pretty different from the arcade experience. And so it, it sort of brings people together, right? I think the other part of that is the game itself encourages you in this sort of unprecedented way in video games to become a scholar of the game. And so mm-hmm. all of a sudden... The coolest kid on the playground isn't the one who can hit the ball the furthest or whatever. It was the person who knew the most. It's so interesting. Like before Pokemon, most video games in the US were racing games or fighting games, not necessarily role-playing games or RPGs. Pokemon completely like flipped the table on the understanding of the US gaming audiences. Can you talk about that change? A lot of people's first role-playing games was Pokemon. It was mine, for sure. So Pokemon really opens a lot of kids' eyes to the idea that games could be much more of a a personalized, intricate, kind of slower experience. And yeah, it totally changed people's idea of what a role-playing game can be or the the size of an audience that a role-playing game can hit. Yeah, I mean, even just limiting our conversation to Nintendo in the mid-late 80s, Dragon Quest in Japan was just doing incredible numbers. Um, They figured it would sell well in the United States, too. It completely flopped. Americans didn't understand it 
because you're out there and you're inhabiting this fantasy world and you're not mashing buttons and hitting monsters in the face. You're not seeing the action. It's more told through a story. Mm-hmm. People just didn't really fully understand it. So there was, I think, on the part of Japanese game developers, a kind of pessimism of American markets of just the things that we do here, they just don't get. And Pokemon was one of those things that actually really changed things, I think, in retrospect. And, and now I feel like those types of games are among the most popular consistently games where you are going through a narrative and growing with the character that that you're playing with. Um, yeah, and and these, these existed. I mean, you know, Final Fantasy, people were playing that, but for the sort of person who saving the world is just a little bit too much, <laughs> Pokemon was there for you as that entryway step. So we've talked a lot about, you know, Pokemon gameplay, but a huge part of the franchise is the trading cards. For people who aren't in the know, Dexter, what is going on with the Pokemon trading card economy today? The Pokemon trading card economy is completely out of control. Um, (laughs) Even when we were kids, was pretty wild. Yeah, I remember hearing there was this place in the mall that apparently you could take your Charizard to if it was a good condition and get $100. We thought that was incredible. Kids were getting their Pokemon cards stolen because these things were worth a lot of money. Recently, the wider public has realized, because of a few kind of famous YouTubers, that Pokemon cards are an asset. I have talked to so many people just in my own reporting who collect Pokemon cards and they've never played the game, don't know how to play the game. So they just just own it as like a rarefied object. As an asset. Pokemon cards is now an asset class. That's the best way that I can describe it. You know, I spoke to a dude who's built a multi-million dollar business off of buying low and selling high. He showed me just a couple of his really prized cards. And I was just, oh, how much is this? It's hundreds of thousands of dollars. Oh, my gosh. Like, I was holding Lamborghini money in my hands. One thing that a couple of collectors have told me is that Pokemon is actually a better investment than sports cards. Why is that? How? Which sounds wild, right? Right. How is this going to be worth more than a Scottie Pippen rookie card or something like that? Of course. You know, the OG Michael Jordan card. Like, how could that possibly happen? And it's because Charizard's never going to have a bad day. He's never going to have a bad season. Charizard will also never get canceled. That's so true. He's never going to say something racist or sexist or homophobic. (laughs) Charizard is a safe bet. Pikachu's safe. Pikachu's never said anything wrong because Pikachu only says Pikachu's own name. Pikachu, right. I mean, Daniel, I I wonder what you think about this, man. But I I think that the fact that they kept Pikachu as Pikachu shows how much confidence they had in it as a character. Because, okay, Pikachu is, in Japanese, it's two different things put together. Pika, so Pika Pika, is like flashing of light. Or, in this case, like uh, lightning which makes sense. Chu is a sound that a mouse makes. So it would be something like flash squeak, which they could have called it because if you look at almost every single other Pokemon, they change the names. Right, 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 right. They change because they, they needed to work differently for an American market. Right, but the thing is, in, in Japanese, a lot of the Pokemon names are these really clever, mm-hmm. funny references to either you know old fairy tales or pop culture or something. 
you know, if you look at all 151 characters, like the original ones, almost all of them, they changed the name because it just didn't make sense in English. But Pikachu, they kept it. Hmm. Daniel, what do you think about that? Yeah, I I know that through interviewing some of the Nintendo of America employees, uh, when they first got basically the list of Pokemon, it was like, you can change these, you will not touch Pikachu. Mm. (laughs) And uh, I I think it's a, because when they were first thinking about bringing Pokemon over, there were ideas on how they could Americanize it outside of like dubbing it or translating the games. And some of it was like, maybe we should change the art style. But eventually, uh, I think they had in mind that there's not just a game of this. There are cards. There's a TV show over there. There's a lot of merchandise. There are so many things that if we make one change in the games, which kind of serve as the sun to the solar system of Pokemon, we're going to have to change everything. So the, the designs are going to stay as is. They could change the names because, as Dexter said, a lot of like the puns and the jokes it would be incomprehensible to a child in America. Um, and so they made them much more like Charmander, Chard for Fire, Mander, Salamander. You get right, it. Right, right, right. Um, but I also think Pikachu's a really good name. <laughs> it's also a name that's cute enough and fun enough in America that you don't need to necessarily get what it translates to to think that it's kind of a catchy name to give a mascot. Right. As much as many of us love Pokemon, you know, <laughs> Daniel, you say, gotta catch them all as a catchphrase that applies just as much to Ash Ketchum and Misty and everybody catching Pokemon as, mm-hmm. as it does to the Pokemon company building their Pokemon empire. Gotta catch them all. Yeah, it's it's just as much of a, hey, you need to get all these monsters as, hey, you need to get all of this stuff, uh, which is a little like cynical way to look at it. But if you watch the Pokemon anime and you think, oh, I like this thing, what should I do next? Play the games. The tone is pretty much the same. The The moral guidelines of how the world works, the logic is pretty much the same. Music's the same. Same themes. Right. So before you know it, you have an entire like Pokemon collection. Your office or your bedroom is uh, full of toys. <laughs> and, you know, one of the things I think that Pokemon isn't given enough credit for is really breaking down the barrier, frankly, of... Mm. Japanese entertainment or Japanese anything being okay Mm -hmm. in the United States. Hmm. This was an era in which, you know, the same kids who were playing Pokemon had also probably watched Power Rangers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Not knowing that Power Rangers is actually a Japanese show. Right. And not to get too morbid with it, but also remember that Vincent Chin being killed. Yes. This was an extremely terrible crime against an Asian American guy. Beaten to death, yeah. This was the decade before that. Yeah, the early 80s. I'm from the Detroit area, so the Vincent Chin story is a big story that looms in that area. Right. It was a couple guys who felt like specifically Japanese people. Mm -hmm. Even though Vincent Chin wasn't Japanese, they felt like they were taking their auto jobs. Yeah, exactly. There was a sentiment in the United States that... Asian people were not welcome. They certainly weren't welcome in entertainment. Nintendo had bought the Seattle Mariners. People were not excited about that. A, ba- a Japanese company owning a baseball team? Get out of here. You know, think about Sailor Moon. They changed all the names, you know, like gave them the most American names they could, you know, name, name the dude Darian, right? <laughs> um, what happened, however, is that it turned out that you make a franchise which is all about learning and exploring. 
And you got to find out what the new Pokemon are. You got to learn all the new Pokemon. Okay, well, somehow you hear that this game came from Japan. And actually, they have a new game out already. This is what happened to me. Okay, what else is going on? And it turns out, actually, that the kids aren't quite as racist as the adults are because they haven't learned to be that yet. And so they, they don't care that it's from Japan. They just want to know, <laughs> what's the next Pokemon? Hmm. So interesting, too, because obviously pop culture is in a completely different place now. Yeah. You know, 20 some odd years later. Yeah. I teach a class on Japan, you know, why is Japan so cool? And it's hard for the students to imagine that at one point, Japan was not only uncool, but actively rejected. If you wanted to bring something over from Japan, you had to hide its origins. But Pokemon was one of those things that it worked out. And I can't say it's the thing that changed everything. But I, I really think there's a before and after Pokemon. Dan, you, see, you yeah. seem like you were going to say something. I completely agree with that. And for kids to get it and be the immediate like Pokemon masters of it, mm-hmm. it was a huge moment. I think in the end, a great idea is a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. And if you present it to kids the right way, they're going to get into it. Dexter, Daniel, thank you so, so much for joining me to talk about Pokemon. This this was, uh, this is a conversation I don't know if I could have seen coming when I was, say, 11 and used to watch Pokemon before <laughs> school in one of my teacher's classrooms. But, uh, but I'm very, very glad that we had it. Seriously, if you would have told me that somebody would have wanted to talk to me about Pokemon in a serious way in the <laughs> 90s, I would have thought you yeah. were out of your mind. <laughs> But here we are. Here we are. Yeah, the, no, the same. So happy to be able to talk about this. Thank you. Thank you. Stick around because we've got some pocket monster trivia right around the corner. And we are back. You are listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Brittany Luce, and I'm here with Dexter Thomas, culture correspondent for Vice News, and Daniel Dockery, senior writer at Crunchyroll and author of Monster Kids, How Pokemon Taught a Generation to Catch Them All. Welcome, welcome. Hey. Hey, hey. Like Professor Oak and my other predecessors have said at the start of nearly every Pokemon video game, welcome to the world of Pokemon. My name is Professor Luce. Um <laughs> All right. So we're going to play some Pokemon trivia. How does that sound? Oof, I am rusty, but let's do it. I'm down. Look, look, okay. look, look, look. I might even be able to do a couple prices right style if you get within the. Okay. <laughs> okay. You, whoever gets closer without going over. I'll give it all to right, you. All right. Okay. So here's how it works it's just like other trivia games, only everything is Pokemon themed. And the first person to guess the answer right gets a point. And you are playing to win. But what do you win? The prize is bragging rights um, and, <laughs> okay. yes. and the title of It's Been a Minute Pokemon Trivia Master. Are y'all ready? I'm ready. Yes. Noting once again that you put me up against the person who wrote a book about Pokemon. I just, I just want to okay, put that out there. Okay, you've had a lot to say. Okay, you know a couple of things. You Somehow you figured out. How to get Pokemon Silver before anybody else that you do. Okay. So you know you know a couple of things, Dexter. Okay. okay. Yes, yes. All right. So here's the first question. How many Pokemon cards have been printed as of March 2022? Is the answer, multiple choice, multiple choice. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Is the answer, A, 925 million, B, 15.9 billion, or C, 
43.2 billion. I'm going to go with A. Th- th- those numbers are way too high. I'm going to go with B. <laughs> really? Yeah. Wow. I'm the only person who's right. The answer is C. No. 43.2 billion cards have been printed. And that's as of last year. What? Mm. Right? Oh my God. That's a lot. That's a lot. Wow. That's a lot. Um, okay. okay. So just to do a bragging rights check, it looks like it's just me. I mean, even though I did have these answers pre-written. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but zero points, zero points for yeah. both of you. So, okay. I mean, the downside of that is no one has any points. The upside is it's still anyone's game. So okay. Tight. So so on to question number two. Mm. What Pokemon hatched out of the first egg Ash ever obtained? Multiple choice. A, Trico. B, Rolu. C, Chansey. And D, Fanpy. Which Pokemon hatched out of the first egg Ash ever obtained? Can't be Chansey. Chansey wouldn't. Oh, no. Chansey has an egg. I'm going to go with B. You're going to go with B. Riolu. Okay. What about you, Dexter? I'm just going to throw out A because I said A last time. It's got to be A one of these times. (laughs) Okay. We made the game too hard. (laughs) The answer is D. Fanpy. Um, this was Ash's first ever egg he received in the anime, and it turned out to be one of uh, his most important and crowd pleasing Pokemon. Fanpy, I choose you. Oh, Fanpy, Fanpy. Yeah, I knew that Fanpy would be ready to battle. Cutie, total oh cutie. Gosh, okay. But all it's right. all right. It's all right. Currently, we have zero points on the board. <laughs> But I think I have a good feeling. I got a good feeling about okay. the next question. Okay. All right. What are the first three lines of the Team Rocket motto? Right here. Um, to protect the world from devastation. That is part of it. But the what are the that's part of it. How how does the anthem start? Oh no. Prepare for trouble and make it double. To protect the world from devastation, to unite all evils within our nation, to announce <laughs> the evils, the of, evils truth of truth, love, truth and love, love, to extend our reach to the stars above. Jesse! James! Team Rocket, blast off at the speed of light! Surrender now! Oh my gosh. <laughs> I, wish, I wish I wasn't able to do that. There's so many things that I could use my mind for right now. There's knowledge that I need. There are things that I forget. That are important in my daily life. I don't need to be walking around quoting what Team Rocket says every time they get whooped by Pikachu. I'm not proud I was able to do that, by the way. Just for the record, I'm actually really embarrassed. If if they ever do a second printing of my book, they're going to be like, Daniel Docker, who's an author of Monster Kids, uh, apparently doesn't know anything about it. (laughs) Got the first two out of three questions wrong. (sighs) Well, I mean, to close out the game... I have to say, you know, both of you did make it through the model, but Daniel, I have yes. to give the edge to because you got that first line, prepare for trouble and make it double. So I'm going to have to give you the point on that one, Daniel. Woo! According to the internet, Team Rockets, Jesse and James are queer working class icons as well as fashion trendsetters. And, and, and there's been talk like in the past few years, I think by a lot of millennial, probably young Pokemon watchers who've grown up and, and look at the series in a different way, that James in particular is very queer coded. So, I mean, you know, shout out Team Rocket. Um, I loved all the looks. I knew that I was supposed to be rooting for Ash, but like I was way more into Team Rocket's 
outfits. Like that's, way that's how they're made, though. Yeah, that's how they're made. They're kind of they're the lovable villains. You you want them to win. You kind just for a little bit. You feel yeah. bad. <laughs> Team Rocket is like funny, and they have cool outfits, and they're constantly like bickering and embracing, and they love. They obviously love each other. And uh, all right. The very first and probably, honestly, only winner of its been a minute Pokemon trivia <laughs> is Daniel Dockery. Congratulations. What would you like to say now at the end of this massive accomplishment? I'd like to say that, like, at some point, my my parents are going to, like, hear, like, you win Pokemon trivia. You know all the Team Rocket motto. You are 34. Um, <laughs> <laughs> buying me the Game Boy Color paid off, Mom. Uh, it really worked out in the end. And it didn't seem like it would for a little while, but it paid off. Look, look, your kid can say Pikachu. I think that you're doing really good. Yeah, you I think it's doing great. Your yeah. kid can say Pikachu. And you won trivia. You know what I'm saying? Like, they got a lot to be proud of. They got a lot to be proud of. If if I had to lose to somebody, losing to the guy who wrote the book, I, I feel good yeah. about it. That, that's good. I'm, I'm, I'm at peace with that. Daniel, Dexter, thank you so much. This has been so much fun. I hope you both catch them all. May we all catch them all. Thank you so much for having me on. (laughs) Thank you, Brittany. Thanks again to today's guests. Dexter Thomas, correspondent at Vice specializing in Japanese media and culture, and Daniel Dockery, author of Monster Kids, How Pokemon Taught a Generation to Catch Them All. He also writes for the anime website Crunchyroll. This episode of It's Been a Minute was produced by Barton Girdwood, Jessica Mendoza, Alexis Williams, Liam McBain. Corey Antonio Rose. Our editor is Jessica Placek. Our intern is Jamal Michelle. We had fact-checking help from Julia Wool. Engineering support came from Gilly Moon. Josh Newell. Trey Watson. Our executive producer is Verilyn Williams. Our VP of programming is Yolanda Sanguini. Our senior VP of programming is Anya Grundman. All right. That's our show for today. I'm Brittany Luce. See you next week for another episode of It's Been a Minute from NPR.